You're listening to the McKinsey Podcast, featuring wide-ranging conversations on the issues that matter in business and management. Hello and welcome to this episode of the McKinsey Podcast with me, Simon London. Today, we're going to be talking about marketing, a discipline that in many ways has been in the front lines of the digital revolution. Once upon a time, marketing was mostly about brand management and advertising. Today, it's become a lot more complicated. And so has the role of the chief marketing officer, the CMO. As we'll hear, the scope of the role has increased enormously, from being a sort of steward of the brand to these days, architect of growth. So what does the successful marketing organization look like? And what skills do CMOs need to deliver against this challenging growth mandate? To find out, I spoke with McKinsey partner Jason Heller and expert associate partner Biljana Svetanovsky. Later this month, Jason and Biljana will be presenting their latest research at the annual Cannes Lions Festival. In this conversation, they give us something of a sneak peek. So Jason and Biljana, welcome to the podcast and thanks in advance for doing this. Thanks, Simon. Exciting topic. Thank you, Simon. Good to be here. So I think today we're going to be talking about the past, present and future of marketing. Big topic. So for those of us who don't work in marketing, maybe Jason, could you just start by stepping back and telling us, you know, what has changed over the last five to 10 years? How has the day-to-day of a marketer evolved? So... You know, marketing has been transforming for well over a decade, probably into two decades at this point. That said, the last five years or so really have seen this monumental shift in several areas. First, um, there's never been as much data available for better targeting, segmentation, personalization, analytics. Um, The increased use of first-party data, the growing privacy regulations around it, new approaches to data governance, these are all part of the day in the life of a modern marketer and modern CMO that was not true, you know, five to 10 years ago, certainly not 10 years ago. The analytical horsepower required to mine through that data and create actionable insights to unlock new opportunities, it's within reach for everybody, right? Like that used to be the heavy lift. It used to be really bold aspiration to think that you can have, you know, such a rich data-driven marketing practice. You know, now that's, you know, that's even available to the small and mid-sized marketer. Two years ago, we crossed a tipping point where digital media spend outpaced TV media spend. Now, that's not true for every marketer, but you know it's interesting when you think about digital becoming the primary investment area for media, and this is driven largely by mobile, by the way, the capabilities and the measurement and everything that comes around with uh, that comes along with that needs to change within the marketing organization. You know, with all that being said, consumer loyalty is on the decline. Competitors are even closer. They're one click away from your customers. And so there's a lot of disruption that marketers have to deal with. And marketers and agencies are struggling to keep up with that pace of change. And I think that degree of change and the response and structure around the response to the change is probably the biggest thing that's happened in the last few years. So that is indeed a lot of change, more data, more digital, more mobile, more opportunity, but I guess less loyalty. So, Biliana, you pick up the thread from here. What does that mean for the role of the chief marketing officer, the CMO? It's always been part of the CMO remit to drive growth, but I think it's becoming much more of an explicit capability that they're um, accountable to deliver. 
there's been a movement from the CMO taking on a more classical role, which may be around advertising, brand stewardship, maybe even customer experience, but actually taking a leapfrog. And increasingly what we're seeing is that CMOs are not only responsible for delivering on the growth agenda, but they're also more and more accountable for designing and defining what it is that the rest of the organization is moving toward. It's actually a very natural place for the CMO to be. They have access to many approaches to deliver on that growth agenda. And that could be everything from building brands to growing loyalty to improving the end-to-end customer experience. What we're finding is that ultimately the CMO is being judged on how well they can grow the business. So that's very clear, but just make sure I understand the connection between the context that Jason just described and, and this new growth mandate for the CMO. What's the connection between the two? What's the, what's the cause and the effect? Five, 10 years ago, the thought of a CMO owning the end-to-end customer experience, even just the understanding of what an end-to-end customer experience was, was really immature. And so I think we're at a natural inflection point and evolutionary step in the role of the CMO and the role of marketing in driving growth. The modern CMO needs to be able to manage their P&L effectively. They have to have a mindset of delivering ROI on every investment that they make. They need to transform the operating model to be more agile. Agile marketing, the ability to rapidly test and learn. They need to work in true partnership with the technology organization. They also need to attract and nurture the talent to drive world-class performance. And then They also need to inspire their peers across the C-suite to have the aspiration and the risk appetite to foster this culture of experimentation, bold creative thinking, and the delivery of growth. And, And, you know, none of that is trivial. I guess the next question is, what does it take for CMOs to deliver against this new mandate? What skills do they need? I know this is something that you've been doing some research on, which you will be presenting later this month in Cannes. So, Biliana, Without giving too much away, just describe the research very briefly and give us some takeaways on what we found. We spoke to over 200 CMOs and over 80 members of the C-suite and the board, and that's chief financial officers, the chief technology officers, and, and other executives. And what we found is that the ability to reach out and influence across the C-suite is becoming increasingly important. The CMO can't drive the company growth agenda on their own. They really need to build strong working relationships with the rest of the C-suite. So in our research, we identified three archetypes for CMOs. And the most successful archetype, they have the closest relationship with each and every member of the C-suite. They also work closely with the board. Not only does the CMO have a seat at the table in defining the strategy, but they also have broader P&L responsibilities. They go well beyond what you might expect for a more classical or traditional CMO. So they own everything from the marketing agenda to customer experience to product to pricing and so on. They're also much better at identifying and nurturing talent in-house, and especially a talent that balances creativity and analytics. But hang on, let's just be clear on this. So the research shows a clear correlation between companies that have this archetype of CMO and the growth rates that they're delivering. Is, is that right? Growth companies are eight times more likely to have this archetype of CMO. Companies with this specific CMO archetype are nearly twice as likely to have high growth than companies that have the other archetypes of CMOs. And, and you know, again, we'll be unveiling all of this at Cannes uh, later on this month. 
If we tie this back to the work that we led last year, which was the integration of data and creativity, this high-performing archetype are three times more likely to attract what we call whole brain talent, people who have an understanding and appreciation of reaching across, you know, whether they're in data-driven roles, reaching across into the creative and content functions, um, if they're in the creative and content functions, reaching across into analytics and really embracing these new capabilities, or at least embracing the capabilities that the other side is doing. They're also three times more likely to have dedicated analytics resources versus their peers, which prevents fighting and competing for priorities for some of the critical analytical capabilities that are required to make that integration happen. When you have data and creativity living hand in hand every single day in practice, that's what's actually driving the growth, even more so than having the capabilities, you know, which many companies have those capabilities, not as many companies are integrating them properly. So just say a little more about this notion of cross-C-suite relationships. What are the critical relationships for a successful CMO to get right? Well, the critical relationship for the CMO to build is with their CEO. The CMO really needs to focus on making sure that the CEO is clear on their role, so there's role clarity. What part of the growth agenda will the CMO drive? And thirdly, the CMO needs to maintain the proximity with the CEO to make sure that the CEO is clear on the activities that they need to champion or support for marketing investment. Um, There's a second critical relationship, and that's with the chief financial officer. We found in our research that only 45% of CFOs believe that their CMOs are delivering on their organizational growth agenda. If the CFO is the gatekeeper to the marketing budget, you know, you need to invest in measurement. You need to be able to articulate clearly what the forecast is of the return on that investment. I mean, at the end of the day, the whole role of the CFO is to make fiduciary responsible decisions about the way that investments are made at the organization. So, you know, for us, it's really more around marketers needing to get past vanity metrics, invest properly in the measurement and analytics around investments so that they come back to the CFO with a credible level of trust that what they're presenting to them is actually going to happen. I could tell you, I've heard from CFOs of our clients that everybody has a $100 million business case. Nobody delivers on that $100 million business case. And I have to decide which $100 million business case to invest in every year when I've got 20 of them being presented to me. Exactly. So CFOs are really looking towards their CMOs to help them translate marketing metrics into the business objectives. So not talking about brand awareness or reaction to creative campaigns or what the customer sentiment analysis is telling them, but instead allowing the CFOs to understand exactly how the metrics will give you predictable and accountable growth. How will it drive the top line? Marketers really need to focus in on what are the metrics that will really drive the business forward and what, what's driving growth. And another interesting thing is, you know, we, uh, you know, from, from other research, we know that the percentage of board members that have marketing experience or marketing background is really low. It's on, it's on the rise, but you know you can't fall off the floor, right? So it's starting from a really low place. And at the end of the day, you know everybody thinks they're a marketer. Everybody has an opinion, and so you know the interaction model between the CMO and the board is is probably quite important as well. I think what we're hearing here is just like a, a level of practical, proactive engagement on the on the part of the CMO to make sure that the CEO who ultimately is responsible for the growth of the company the CFO who has the you know the the who is the gatekeeper to the funding and the board who effectively 
hires and guides the entire org- C-suite are fully aligned on what the biggest bets are to drive growth. You mentioned there that the, the relationship between the, the chief marketing officer and the chief financial officer, you know, historically can be a little bit tricky. Do we know from the research, are there any other relationships that are standing out as maybe being uh, not quite as smooth as, as one might hope? The interesting point in terms of a relationship that probably could be improved is that of the CHRO. You know, that was a bit of a surprise to us. You know, it it hints at some pain points related to attracting and retaining top marketing talent, right? Which is sort of a complex endeavor, right? It's it's not as simple as going out and recruiting and paying people, you know, a a competitive, you know, comp structure. It's, It's as much about the value proposition of the organization, the culture, you know, the interaction model with the rest of the marketing organization. So we sort of read this as just a struggle to attract talent in general, and probably also, you know, reading between the lines a little bit, more enablement and empowerment that's probably needed at the chief HR officer level. So Jason, you you mentioned agile marketing, and I think it's no secret that marketers were were one of the first parts of the organization beyond technology to get interested in, in agile working styles and methodologies. So how far have we come? Is is Agile commonplace now? Is it sort of broadly adopted a- across the industry? You know, I wish I could say that Agile marketing was the rule and not the exception, but that, that's not the case yet. I mean, we are slowly but surely seeing more marketing organizations adopting Agile, uh, at least for some of the more addressable, you know, closed loop parts of their marketing. One of the challenges is, you know, you, you have a, a lot of marketers, individuals who have been in marketing for 10 to 20 years and are really comfortable in a certain way of working. And Agile actually upends that, repurposes them to be more operators than managers. You know, there is a change management that's uh, that that's required there. But Agile marketing, it, it's one of the most effective ways of modernizing traditional marketers who have operated in slow waterfall processes for their careers. Um, when you put, again, creative content, media, analytics, technology, uh, marketing ops together in a team. I mean, that's where the magic really happens. And it makes it possible, for example, to create and launch tests in a matter of days versus a matter of months. Now, that's not true in every channel. That's not true for every client. There's scale implications there. you know. But at the end of the day, this is where the rubber meets the road in terms of the operational reality of how to drive growth more effectively. The other thing that's interesting to me here is that we've talked quite a lot about digital analytics, the growth agenda, business cases, and so on. But we haven't really talked about creativity. Yet when you think about the big brands we all grew up with, they were built on the back of these sort of iconic, memorable, creative campaigns. So what's the role of creativity in this new world? Does it, does it even matter? Brands still matter. Creativity still matters. Uh, And like all things, technology has evolved the way that we develop, deliver, and improve upon the creative ideas and honestly, the way that we create connections with consumers, emotional connection, that creativity and certain messaging and imagery and the way that we engage consumers. I mean, that, that all is still as relevant, if not more relevant today, where we have less consumer loyalty than we have before. You see creativity thriving in the inspiring work that we see at Cannes every year. 
A couple of years ago, and in partnership with Can, we looked at 16 years of Can Lions uh, award data. We created a an index that actually proved that companies that had a trajectory of wins at Can, not a direct correlation between winning an award and economic impact, but more the trajectory of creativity. Right, creativity is a very subjective. Uh, it's a very subjective topic. So. Uh, if we look at the you know biggest, most widely recognized awards as some proxy to some recognized creativity measure, uh, we're able to see that total return to shareholders, organic gr- uh, growth, all of these indices actually were relatively correlated to the number of awards, uh, the trajectory, the longitudinal uh, nature of the way that creativity was uh, sort of manifested within an organization. But if we tie this all back to what matters, driving growth, last year's research found that modern capabilities alone are not enough. Um, Rather, it was the integration, as we mentioned earlier, the integration of data and creativity. That was the accelerant. So companies that drive, the companies that integrate data and creativity drive twice the growth rate of their peers. And there's a few things that they did to to facilitate that. And, you know, again, it's sort of the theme of this conversation, you know, treating data and creativity as equal partners, hiring and nurturing this whole brain talent who are eager to contribute to that integrated equation. And the last one, and maybe the most important one is, you know, adopting a new operating model, adopting agile marketing, where test and learn and curiosity are at the core of both the DNA of the organization, as well as the uh, the day-to-day operating model. Just to be devil's advocate for a minute, it it does strike me as a layperson that surely there's a fundamental sort of arithmetic at work here, which is if the marketing organization is spending more on data analytics, data science, building its MarTech stack, all that good stuff, surely there are going to be fewer dollars available to spend on creative, on copywriting, design, big campaigns, and and that kind of thing. Is, Is there any truth in that? It's a great question, and I don't think it's a zero-sum game. I think that the investments in data and marketing technology in particular are unlocking sources of value that didn't exist before. And therefore, if you take a P&L approach to this, you get to a point where the investment in marketing execution and the investment in the enablement and instrumentation to unlock new opportunities will require additional investment. Now, in the short term, there are plenty of companies that do make it a zero-sum game because they haven't proven to themselves yet that there's a accountability and a predictive quality to the value that they're going to unlock. But once you get to that point, it's really easy to make the business case that marketing is just managing a P&L. And as the investments in technology, data, customer experience, media, creative increase, as long as they could forecast what comes out of the tail end of that engine the investments don't need to be a zero-sum game. Maybe going beyond budget, the, the old paradigm of how marketers used to build their creative campaigns, maybe one, two, three campaigns throughout the year. What we're actually seeing now is more of a shift towards more iteration of those campaigns and maybe of more experimenting, more segmentation, um, more always-on campaigns. So you're seeing almost a proliferation of the amount of the creative or the volume of the creative that marketers are, are creating. And this can present some challenges. Creating those new iterations, it's not only having an I- impact on the cost that that it takes and the engagement with your agencies, but also has implications for the type of the agency ecosystem that you build for yourself in order to sustain that. 
So just just double click on that if you don't mind. What what are the implications for agencies and all of this? Do do agencies have a future, and and if so, what is it? What we're seeing is that marketers are having a much more conscious, deliberate, and structured approach to how they work with their agencies. And over the last few years, we've seen a couple of shifts. And maybe the first one is around there's a, there's an increasing shift towards insourcing, and especially in relation to creative and content. And that could be very simple creation of quick, cheap, fast, you know, low risk type content, which could be like creating a new banner ad. And we see that um, being insourced with, uh, with with marketers because it's less time consuming, costly than engaging the agency. But we also see the in-housing or insourcing of the big idea, so the big creative idea on which all the campaigns will be based. So we see that spectrum from both simple activities being insourced through to the bigger ideas. The second big shift is around the evolution of the agency ecosystem. If we think about 10 years ago, as Jason mentioned uh, earlier, I mean, you can count the number of marketing capabilities on one hand. You have creative, you have media, you have PR, you have promotions, and you have design. And what you've seen over the last 10 years is an explosion in the types of capabilities that you need for marketing. And that's everything from programmatic to media planning to ideation, you name it. So it's become increasingly difficult for one agency to provide the one-size-fits-all solution for marketers. So we see a tendency towards marketers being very selective in terms of their ecosystem and choosing specialist agencies to meet their specialist needs. Maybe the third shift that's been happening with agencies is around the emergence of joint ventures and partnerships. And this could be something as simple as tying more closely the incentive structure for an agency to that success or performance of the the marketers or the organization. But we're also seeing the opportunity around where agencies are investing or co-creating in the intellectual property of some of their clients. So really building in closer relationships where tying together their performance metrics. And and let me just add to that, agencies are in the process of reestablishing trust with their clients. You know, there's been a, a lot of controversy around transparency in the agency world. You know, as, as a recovering agency executive myself, I still see agencies as relevant as ever, may, maybe even more so to help clients navigate a really complex world around them. You know, most clients are still working with with uh, with agencies. I think they will continue to do that despite the rise of insourcing. Uh, you know, agencies are not going away, but there is sort of a uh, crossroads where where we are right now, where agencies just have you know a lot of trust to reestablish with their clients. So we've talked a fair bit about the rise of data driven marketing, uh, test and learn, personalization, all of this good stuff, and yet on the other side we've got consumers increasingly nervous about who they give their information to and how it's being used. We've got tightening regulation around how data can be collected and, and deployed, a GDPR being the, the poster child for that. So is this all having a chilling effect uh, on the world of marketing? So data privacy regulation has had three major implications on marketing. Firstly, uh, marketers require the explicit consent of consumers. And this really limits their ability to use the data. And sometimes they've been building their databases over a number of years. So it really reduces the impact and the, and the value of the assets that they've been able to create over, over the last few years. I think the second implication is that the climate is forcing marketers to really rethink the value exchange with the consumers and customers. And to create, it used to be just a checkbox that you could tick. And now actually marketers need to 
really push their thing to, to say, thinking to say, what is the value? What's the value add? If a consumer checks the box, then what is the value add of them um, joining on to my database? I think the third implication is that there's far less third-party data available in regulated markets. And that's just a knock-on effect of the general overarching privacy laws. And I think one of the most important pieces there is um, this need to create the value exchange with consumers. I mean, this is a really good thing, right? We, you know, marketers now actually need to take the time to think about the customer experience, the value exchange, how we're actually going to create the value for consumers, which means better experiences and more value created for the marketer. I feel like we're going to come out of the end of this, which with much better capabilities in how we engage consumers in general. So marketers maybe had got a little bit lazy in how they were collecting data and, and really figuring out what they could do with it. Is, is that fair? I think that's right. You know, I, I'd argue that marketers were not fantastic at using data when they had blanket permission because they effectively were just banking that permission for some later day when they figured it out. Now they don't have the permission at all. And so, you know, it's really holding marketers to a higher standard of figuring out how to deliver the right experiences to consumers. So let's end looking forward. If you think about the big challenges facing marketers over the next two to five years, say, what are they? Um, Biliana, maybe you start. What, what would you put in that bucket? And I think the first one is really building in the growth leadership mindset and building in that culture and making sure that they're building the collaboration with their C-suite peers and the rest of the organization, but also making sure that they have clarity of role, clarity of metrics, and making sure that they're really robust in terms of how they think about the uh, business organization. I think the second big challenge is around measurement. And I think this is incredibly important as marketing is stepping more explicitly into the role of driving the growth agenda. So if you want to be accountable, then you must make measurement a priority. But isn't that something that's been a priority, you know, every year for the last 20 years, 30 years? I mean, this, this whole business of trying to measure your marketing return on investment is, is not a new challenge, right? Simon, you're right. So marketing effectiveness and measuring marketing return on investment has been around for a long time. What has made it more complicated in terms of measurement now is what we talked about earlier, which is the proliferation of different channels, the proliferation of touch points. And as you mentioned earlier, I guess the, the execution of creative across all these different touch points and channels, that's a challenge as well. And that's exactly the third challenge. So there's been a lot of discussion around the need for digital first content. Uh, but most companies are still repurposing their content from traditional channels. So this is a really a lost opportunity for reaching your consumer in a more mobile, tailored way. It's a missed opportunity in engaging your customers in a, in a deeper way in, in the touch points that they want to be um, reached and really creating these personal experiences across all the addressable channels. And Jason, what, what comes to mind for you if, if we think about challenges for the next few years? So I, I'm, I'm going to shift us from challenges to maybe end us on a bit of an inspirational note. I think the next phase of, of digital and marketing transformation is really a move from, from doing to being, right? A move from you know, companies doing agile marketing to companies being agile marketing organizations. A move from doing things that are customer-centric to being customer-centric organizations, right? A move from doing analytics to becoming data-driven, right? It needs to be in the DNA of the organization. That's what creates the performance-oriented culture that can deliver the accountability that we've talked about, the predictable growth to the organization, and that really is something new. So I think we are indeed out of time for today. But Jason and Liliana, thank you so much for doing this. Thanks for having us. Thank you, Simon. 
And thanks as ever to you, our listeners, for tuning in. If you want to read more about marketing, growth, and the role of the CMO, there's a ton of good stuff on mckinsey.com, or in a spirit of mobile first, you can download the McKinsey Insights app, which you'll find on the Apple or Android app stores. You've been listening to the McKinsey Podcast. To learn more about McKinsey, our people, and our latest thinking, visit us at mckinsey.com or find us on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook.